dive into the Word tonight. We're going to be in Acts chapter 28. We're also going to be in Numbers chapter 23. So I want to go ahead and tell you ahead of time, we've been going through the book of Acts together. We're in our 28th and final week in the book of Acts. And uh, this is going to drive me crazy the whole time, so I'm going to set it over here. Uh, we're going we're to go through the book of Acts. We're finishing tonight, Acts 28. But uh, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I read the chapter for Acts, and then I realize this only points me somewhere else in Scripture. So uh, this week, it more so has led us to Numbers chapter 23. But if you'll turn with me to Acts 28, we're going to talk tonight about the consistency of Christ. The consistency of Christ. And tonight we're going to talk about how in Jesus we find a consistency and a faithfulness that we can neither receive nor offer from humankind. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the time to be in your word. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would bless this time that we have together as you already have. Heavenly Father, help us to continue to worship you during this time. Lord, I pray that your word would just come alive for every person in this room, including myself. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time you've allowed me to spend with you this week, just uh, letting this sink in for me. Uh, and Lord, I just, I pray, oh God, that you would just let every person in this room, if there's any barriers, any hindrances, anything that would hold them back from hearing your word and receiving it and growing closer to you, God, I pray that you would remove it in Jesus' name. And God, I pray if there's one person here in the room or online tonight that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, I pray that tonight would be the night. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Amen. We're going to talk about the consistency of Christ tonight, and I want to just go ahead and throw it out there. I believe that we live in an anxious society. Amen. I won't make you raise your hand, but I believe if I ask you tonight, raise your hand. If you deal with anxiety, we'd have quite a few hands go up uh, around the room. The uh, Oxford Dictionary defines anxiety as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Church, I believe that a great deal of this comes from the degree that we allow human beings to shape our identity, our value, and our direction in life. We are a culture in America that I believe craves, likes, follows, shares, and the opinion of media, celebrities, and political personnel. What a dangerous decision. Think about it. What a dangerous decision to allow such an inconsistent and unreliable source of truth to dictate the truth in our lives. One of the biggest standouts to me about the book of Acts from chapter 9 forward is the consistency of which Paul relies on Christ and has a peace and no sense of anxiety when we read about Paul. He is a man of conviction and of passion, and it seems like nothing that is thrown his way throws him off. Whether it be a shipwreck, a snake bite, a beating, an imprisonment, being on trial, nothing seems to phase the peace that the Apostle Paul had in Christ Jesus. I want to offer you tonight what I believe to be the truth of Paul's source of peace. And I believe that is Paul, uh, uh, Paul believed that Jesus was a consistency and a source of faithfulness that no human being could possibly offer him. In Acts 28, we see God protect Paul despite the ever-changing perception of the people around him. If you're not already there, let's turn to Acts chapter 28 together, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6, possibly all the way to verse 10, depending how the Lord leads. We're going to go through this together. Acts chapter 28. 
The context is Paul and his companions, 276 people in the ship, have wrecked the ship and they've arrived on an island called Malta. They wash up on the shore and that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 28, beginning with verse number one. After we were brought safely through, Josephine read for us, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had, be, it had begun to rain and was cold. So we start off with a group of people that Paul encounters and we see that they show Paul and his companions unusual kindness. Strangers washed up on the beach that for one reason or another they love on, they care for, they give them warmth and nourishment. But as we continue reading, we see that Paul, verse 3, had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Verse 4, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now I want you to track with me the fickleness of the human mind. Unusual kindness, loving on the people on the beach, but once the snake bites Paul, he goes from a person deserving of their kindness and affection to he must be a murderer. Justice has come full circle, and he is soon going to die. Verse number five, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. To track with me one last time, unusual kindness. He must be a murderer. Now he's a god. Unusual kindness. He must be a murderer. Now he's a god. If you don't know it already, people can be very easily swayed. We are perhaps one of the most unreliable species on the planet. So the point I want to share with you first is the inconsistency of the flesh. Outside of the grace of Jesus Christ, we are wicked, selfish human beings. The inconsistency of the flesh. I remember when I was a police officer, there was a domestic dispute that took place in, on Ken Island. And I went to this call, and I arrived there, and the lady that was in, living in the house, her and her boyfriend had gotten in an argument, and he was abusing her. So when I went in, I separated the two. It was clear that he had struck her, and so I arrested the gentleman and took him into the office. And as he, as he was in my police car, I remember this woman like it was yesterday coming to me and just grabbing on, thank you, thank you so much, thank you for what you've done tonight. You have, you've saved my life. I am so grateful for the work that you do. I mean, she is just laying it on. And that night, I felt so good about my profession. I thought, I've done something good tonight. A month, two months went by, and I was working patrol in Ken Island, and a car was in front of me, and it was going inside the lines and outside and off the road a little bit. It was riding up very close to the car in front of it, and they were just obviously having an issue driving the way that they were supposed to drive. And so I, I pulled the car over, and as I got to the window and did my spiel that I used to do, uh, I'm a deputy draper from Queen Anne's County Sheriff's Office. Ma'am, I stopped you today for this or that. And I went to the window, and I realized I knew the woman. 
She was the same lady that a month, two months prior was the victim in the domestic violence case. Doing what I had to do, I asked her to step out of the car and we went through field sobriety and it was interesting to me how quickly the person who was thanking me a month ago cursed my name, told me how useless I was and cussed me all the way to the station. People change their minds, their feelings so quickly and thankfully, as a police officer, I had learned not to allow the opinion of others to dictate the value I saw in myself. But church, before we move on, I want to share with you that it's not just them, it's you. It's me. I coach soccer at the Christian Academy this year, and I love my boys. I love working with these guys. I'm so excited about who they are and, and how the team grew. And if you know me when it comes to sports, my pet peeve in sports is bad sportsmanship. We can lose a game by 10 to nothing, but you keep your head and act right, and I'll go home satisfied. We can win a game, and you holler at the refs and, and act terribly, and to me it's a loss. The boys understood this, and I thought, and I remember being so proud of them, how they conducted themselves throughout the season. I was so happy with how they were such good sports, and they acted so uh, professional in the way that they played. But then the championship game, I wasn't able to be there, and that's partially my fault, but they played a game, and they lost. And for whatever reason, this game was different. They hollered at the refs. They collectively got a yellow card together at the end of the game because they would not stop running their mouths. And when I say I was disappointed, I don't think I was wrong to be disappointed, but the reason I tell you this is I was so proud of them earlier in the season, so proud and excited to coach them, but that day I found myself thinking in my mind, I don't know if I'm going to coach them next year. How quickly I could love and be excited about a group of young men and the first mistake that they made, I didn't want to coach them anymore because of my own pride or dignity. How quickly I gave up on them and ignored the progress and the growth that they had had. had. How ready I was to change my mind and turn on them that day. I realized when I thought about it this week, it's not just those people. It's me. I'm broken. And if I haven't already, I promise you I will. I will, I will let you down. I will let you down. There will be a time that you will come to me as a pastor, perhaps, where you're looking for affection, and I'm going to be too hard on you. There will be a time that you're going to come to me, and, and I'm going to, I, I should show you loving care, and I'm not going to give you the time of day. You see, the truth is, as a human being in the flesh, outside of Jesus Christ, my nature is to be selfish. It's to look out for me. And so I, I grow more and more concerned, especially for our teens, but our adults as well. How much do we allow human beings to place value and worth and direction in our lives? Paul doesn't let the people in Malta shake him for one second. You see him move on from this, and verse 7 tells us he goes to a neighborhood where he meets the chief man of the island whose father is sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. 
They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Paul was focused on the mission he had been given because Paul had decided that his past didn't dictate who he was. The people that knew him as the uh, the passionate Jew that persecuted Christians weren't going to say who he was. The people he just met on Malta weren't going to determine who he was. The people who had him in, in, imprisoned in chains weren't going to dictate who he was. Who gave him his identity and his purpose was Jesus Christ. So I want to share with you Numbers chapter 23 because there is a truth there that I pray speaks into your heart tonight. I want to be clear. I, I want you to have a takeaway every time we meet together and we study the word. I want you to grow closer to God. I pray if you don't know Jesus, then tonight you choose to follow Jesus. But first and foremost tonight, the purpose is to bring worship to an almighty God. To lift up who God is, that he is worthy of praise. I just want to point something out to you tonight about God, if that's okay, that I pray settles in your heart and you begin to realize that God is worth giving your life and your affection and your attention and everything that you have to because he is worthy of your worship. The truth I want to share with you is this. God is not like a human being. And praise God, he's not. Numbers 23, verse 19 says this. It says, God, it's a very popular verse. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? It's a popular verse, but the context is even more interesting. It's one of the more uh, unique stories in the Bible. In chapter 22, there's a Moabite king whose name is Balak. And Balak goes to a prophet whose name was Balaam, and from here on out, I'm going to say the Moabite king and Balaam, because you're going to get their names mixed up. Balaam, you'll know him most by his donkey, most likely, Balaam's donkey. There's this incident where uh, the king of Moab comes to Balaam, and he says, Balaam, you're a prophet of God. What I want you to do is come with me and curse the people of Israel, because I've seen how powerful they are. And we're about to face them, and I need you to curse them. So Balaam tells the king of Moab, listen, I can't do anything God doesn't tell me to do. And there's this interaction where Balaam three times comes back to the king of Moab and says, I cannot do what God has not said. It's in this context that Balaam tells the king of Moab that God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? One of the most powerful things or words that we use to describe God, but the more we say it, maybe the more it loses its meaning, is that God is holy. In Revelation, you see that in worship before the throne, they're crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. What I love about holiness is only God can have it. And any degree that you are holy is the degree that you are like God. The word holy means other, set apart, completely different, otherness. It's what God holds. What Balaam is telling the king of Moab is that God is not like a human being. He's nothing like a human being. He is entirely holy. He is other. He's telling the king of Moab that no matter how many times this human being tries to twist his arm or twist God's will, God's promises do not 
change. God is an unchanging God. And I want to warn you, listen, theology, the the study of God, and we live in a world today that was going to try new ideas and new things and throw them your way. Listen, if an unchanging God, unchanging, there aren't going to be but so many new things we're going to come up with about him. Amen? So if you want to learn about God, I know it sounds obvious. Go to his word. First, go to his word. Not what I say, not what the leading theologian of the day says. Go to his word. See what it says about who he is. It tells us he is unchanging. He stays the same, and when he says something, he means it. And when he promises something, it will be fulfilled. In Bible study on Thursday night, we talked about what that means. It means that not only the good promises of God, The ones that are positive in nature are going to come true, but the negative ones as well. Let me tell you what I mean, because I believe that we as a church need to be called out on it. If we as Christians live in a world that we feel like is going downhill, if we feel like there are false doctrines and false teachings that are floating around, if we feel like people are becoming more and more wicked in their nature, as Christians, if we are running around in a panic, why? God said that would be so. God said that would be so. He does not change. If he said it, it will come to be. So ask yourself, is what I'm watching what God has promised? If what I'm watching is what God has promised, it should not upset me so much. We, of all people, should be a people that have peace and that have joy and that have hope and are able to look at a crazy world and go, this is what my Jesus told me. We should expect it. God is not like a human being. If he said it, it will come to be. Faithfulness and consistency are God's character. They are who he is, and God's character does not change. So this sermon may be shorter than normal, but I want to leave you with the last point, and I want you to take this in and live it. Because God's promises are not just for Israel, They're for you. They're not just for Israel. They're for you. We could spend all night studying the promises that God has made you. But I want to point out three. The first is this. God is not like a human being. Remember, so if he said it, it is true. Absolutely, take it to the bank. And number one is this, salvation. Do you all know, I can say it over and over again, it never loses the excitement, it never loses the value. I pray it doesn't for you either. God, in his consistency and in his promise keeping and in his truthfulness, in his faithfulness, promised that he would redeem a broken humanity, that he would restore all creation, that he had not forgotten his people Israel and that he would even bring in the nations to salvation. And in his faithfulness and in his consistency, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the word become flesh who made his dwelling among us. And do you know that God in his faithfulness and his consistency became flesh and lived in a way that you and I could not? He never broke a single law. 
He obeyed every commandment that his father had given him so that one day God in his faithfulness and in his consistency in the person of Jesus Christ could put himself upon a cross, willingly volunteer his death, knowing that he did not owe the penalty that we owed, that the wages of sin, which are death, did not belong to him. And so on that cross, in his faithfulness and his consistency, he bore your sin and mine on his mind and in his hands as the nails were driven into them. And in his faithfulness and his consistency, he took on your wages and your penalty upon himself so that you could be saved. It's the greatest promise that has ever been made. It should be treated with care and treasured and valued and offered as the greatest thing that has ever been offered to any person ever. God in his faithfulness and his consistency promised, Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Not you might be, not perhaps, not if you say it and believe it, but then you live accordingly the rest of your life. No, you shall be saved. Your salvation is promised, and God keeps his promises. Which leads me to the second. Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 37 said, All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Your salvation is promised, but God in his faithfulness and consistency also said, You will never be rejected when you come to me. There's nothing you could do, nothing you could say. No amount of foulness in your language, no amount of running, no amount of rejection of what God has said. God, in his consistency and his faithfulness, said, if you come to me, if you truly place your faith in me, you are mine, and nothing will drive you away. You will never be rejected. And finally, the third we look at tonight, John 15, verses 9 through 11, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. God in his faithfulness and his consistency has promised you salvation. He has promised you that in your salvation you will not be rejected. You are his and nothing can drive you away. And he has promised you a love, a joy, and a peace beyond all understanding. That if you are his, that if you remain in his love, there will be joy that will be in you and your joy may be complete. We're going to focus on this a lot this year, but listen, God has promised that when you come to him, when you are his, when you are in Christ Jesus, there is joy and there is peace. I believe God's promises, do you? I believe God's promises. 
Sometimes I look around at the church today, at Christians today, and we are some of the most mopey, complaining, sad people on the planet. You know me. I'm going to shoot it to you straight. So if God said that in Jesus Christ, I'm going to have joy, not always going to be happy, but I'm going to have joy in him, guess what? It should excite me to pray. It should excite me to be in the Word. It should excite me to be with fellow believers. It should give me joy to get out there and share the Word. There should be nothing that pleases me more than to wake up and be with Jesus and to spend my day living His commands and living in His name and serving Him with all of my being. I should be excited. I should be happy. There should be joy deep down in my heart that no one can take away. So why is it that we are some of the most downtrodden people? You know, I I know that uh, we worship on Saturday nights and it's been a, a hundreds of people that have, it, it, hundreds is an exaggeration, but so many that, you know, it, it's just, well, why Saturday? Couldn't we do Sunday? Well, listen, I'm just going to be up front with you. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if the day ends in why, you should be excited to be with Jesus. Amen. Period. It should be your utmost pleasure to be with the people of the Lord. Baseball, soccer, things I love, video games, work. There's nothing, nothing that should please you more than being with God and worshiping him. He deserves it. He deserves it. Listen, I put aside all the others. You know, we're planting a church together. I'm excited about that. You know, uh, I I love each of you. I pray that you grow closer to God. I care about your well-being. I care about your health. I care about your family. I I want you to to be blessed. I I want these things for you. But put all that aside for a minute. God deserves it. He deserves your praise. He deserves your worship. He deserves your affection. He deserves every minute you can give him. And if you've lost your joy or your excitement for that, ask why. Ask why. He's promised love, joy, and peace. So I'm going to ask you very simple and closing tonight. I want to be a people. I want to be a people that believes God's promises and decides that our identity, our autonomy, our belonging, who we are, why we matter, what our purpose is, where we fit in, our direction in life. I want it all to be found in Jesus Christ. And I don't mean just being a part of an organization. I don't mean just proclaiming him on on Sunday or on Wednesday or on Thursday or Saturday, whatever. I, I don't mean that. I mean truly, not just words, truly, your entire being, being rooted in Jesus Christ that you would give anything for him, that you would die for him, that you would sacrifice your time and your energy, anything for Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness even when we are faithless. God, we ask you tonight, forgive us for the times that 
we have fallen short for the times that we've been distracted. Lord, we thank you that you, we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that your grace is sufficient. God, we pray tonight if there is one person here tonight or online that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, first we pray that they would know that it's more than just a prayer, that it is true faith, giving their life to Jesus Christ. And we ask tonight, Lord, that they would have the courage and the boldness to come to you. And Lord, that we as a church family, Lord, would celebrate, that we would celebrate what God has done. Pray, oh God, if there's one person in the room or online, Lord, that wants to come to Jesus tonight, I pray, God, that you would give them the courage to come up to me or one of the leaders, Pastor Phil, someone here tonight, Lord, that can walk them through that and, and help them to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would give them the boldness and the courage, the conviction by your Holy Spirit to come up, Lord, and share, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And God, if they're online tonight, we pray, Lord, that you would just give them the courage to send a message, Lord, to just share simply. I want to place my faith in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening that you've given us. We thank you for the blessings that you've given us. And we pray, God, that you would just lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit the rest of the service, that we would continue to worship you. We love you and we give you thanks. Amen.